Welcome to the Drop the Mic Podcast, number 22. Hey everyone, what's going on? This is Darren, and we have some really cool stuff to announce, Um, some cool things. I think we're going to just skip right to the scoop. This week on the scoop, um, got some interesting events coming up for some people uh, that have submitted some stuff to us. Um, March 10th in New York City, uh, Black Entrepreneurs March Mastermind, which is so cool. Um, It's a monthly meetup designed to support black entrepreneurs with starting and growing their businesses. So this is uh, definitely something that people uh, who are busy trying to get their businesses launched or or having some problems with their business might want to get involved in um it is a private event however uh you can reach out to um the person who's leading the event his name is devin dixon and if you uh go out to uh d dixon at binge b-i-n-g-e wave w-a-v-e dot com you can uh, shoot him an email and possibly ask him if he um can uh, invite you to the event the event's going to be um again march 10th at uh, 11 30 a.m and it's going to be hosted at the we work in times square so great venue uh even better cause it's open to entrepreneurs and investors and again, it's um, it's going. I think it's really a useful event to go to. I'm I'm actually going to go. So if you get a chance, you should um, you know shoot him an email or uh, go up to bingewave.com his his startup and check out what he's doing. And you can contact him through there as well. Um, also, uh, we're doing an event. So New York Film Loft. Uh, my startup um, is hosting again another one of our uh, media and entertainment industry mixer happy hour events. Last month we had a fantastic turnout, and we want to give big thanks to um, O'Neill's Soho down on 174 Grand Street. An amazing, amazing group of people running. The um, establishment there, great restaurant, great tavern, um, awesome drinks. The bartenders are super, and they've been really supportive, and they let us come there and host our events, and big shout-outs to them. Big shout-outs to Nice Shoes, which is uh, a fantastic company, um, a production and post-production service company that does work. Uh, with lots of different um, big name companies, uh, you name it, they've they've worked in it, um, and they, you know, just go up to niceshoes.com. You can check out what they're doing um, and what they're producing currently, and uh, you know they do VR, live action design, VFX animation. They do editing and post and uh, post production coloring and finishing for a lot of different. Uh, commercials and films and episodics and music videos and they were awesome they uh, sponsored uh, our our drinks for the uh, for the event last month and so uh, we're doing another event 
this event is going to be at Dewey's Pub, uh, which is an all, another really awesome place um, in Midtown. And uh, if you, you know, you can Google them or you can stop by and have a drink after work at 135 West 30th Street. Um, and uh, our event is coming up uh, on March 21st from 6 to 9 at Dewey's Pub. You can go up to our website at nyfilmloft.com and you can go there if you want to sign up. Or if you are, um, you know, familiar with uh, Eventbrite, you can go up to Eventbrite and just search New York Film Loft and you'll come up with our page, our events. It's uh, going to be great. We had a great turnout, awesome people. Um, yeah, so come out and join us for some drinks and some networking on March um, 21st. Make sure you register in ahead of advance because... Um, we do fill up fast. Last month we filled up really fast. So, and we've already gotten halfway there to our capacity. So, please go up to um, to Eventbrite or our, our website nyfilmloft.com. Uh, under our events page, you'll see all the events that we're hosting. Uh, not all, because we have some stuff we haven't listed yet, but this event is definitely up there. You can check it out. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and um, Twitter at NY Film Loft. All right. Um, yeah, so this podcast, um, we interviewed June Choi. And for those of you um, who are in the entrepreneurial world, you'll love this podcast. She's a CEO at Servo Ventures, and she launched uh, Servo Ventures in 2015. And Servo uh, Lab is actually going to be launching later this year, um, doing some fantastic work with entrepreneurs, really helping them hone their skill set and get them um, launched in a proper fashion. Actually, one of our favorite startups, Sentiment.io, um, which is a, an artificial intelligence um, platform for advertising, they're part of their um, their, their their portfolio. So um, you'll definitely be interested in a lot of stuff she has to say. And I, I'm not going to talk much longer because I really think you'll love this podcast. And so... Um, Let's roll it. I can't believe you two took that raving lunatic seriously. What do you think this is? <laughs> Profit school. Oh, of course. Everyone knows Well, <laughs> you'd be surprised. There are some people who don't. Really? That's yeah. sad. Yeah. I know. And they go, oh, the UN? And I'm like, no, not the UN. 
<laughs> I'm like, no, not that assembly, but your clothes. Um, so, wow. I was teaching the business fundamentals and tactics course there, mm-hmm. and they had started that course with McKinsey Consulting. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, for their junior consultants who didn't have an MBA. Mm-hmm. And then when they, I started teaching there, they said, you know, we'd like you to pivot this for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, they had stopped working with McKinsey. So I created a course that was more focused on, um, you know, kind of launching rather than more like a business course where it's group projects. It, you know, they mirrored the MBA courses and I added stuff like product dev, lean, all of that kind of stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. And then brought in my VC friends for them to pitch to at the end. Well, that's always (laughs) good to have because, um, it's funny because, uh, not related to the podcast, but just in general conversation recently, there's been like, you know, I'm, I'm part of a, a group of like kind of like a stealth group of entrepreneurs and they, you know, that conversation around um, the relationships between the startups and the investors within an accelerator and an incubator process has kind of been like under discussion and um, it just, you know, was kind of fortuitous um, that we also were about to have this conversation. And so I was, I was up on, on a several website and I was looking at your bio and you said something in the first line, which I thought was interesting that you had launched this to develop a better model for startup acceleration and success. Can you explain like, like, what did you see in the acceleration process that you thought could be done better? Sure. Um, first of all, I should say that my website is a little out of date because hmm. for the past, like, year, I've been really working just in stealth mode. Sure. Just to, you know, just to get shit done. Yeah, I, I understand that. <laughs> and marketing takes up so much time. Oh, my God, doesn't it? Yeah. So what happened was um, I actually, um, when I started teaching the uh, what they call the BFT course, mm-hmm. I was actually doing um, business consulting. Mm-hmm. So I did everything from strategic planning to um, board development to um, succession planning. And when I was telling this to someone, someone said, oh, like serious business stuff. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I understand business and I've been, I'd been doing that for a while, but, uh, I wanted to do something a little different, um, new, and that's why I, uh, wanted to get into teaching. And when I started teaching at general assembly, I just started meeting a lot of startups. Right. Right. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs and they're like, Oh, you know, we need like help your help, but we can't afford your consulting. (laughs) Will you be our advisor? And I'm like, all right, I don't know quite what that means, but you know, I've mentored and people for, you know, decades, all my career. So I said, sure, we'll try it. Um, and what I found was because I was an advisor and they weren't paying me Mm -hmm. and, you know, founders don't know what they don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, And they talk to like, you know, I gave them, so uh, let me back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see structures in my head and I see in 4D. So when, even when consulting clients would come to me, I could see exactly what they needed to do to Mm -hmm. get to where they wanted to go. Mm -hmm. 
but I didn't realize that's not something everybody sees in their head on a regular basis. So, uh, and so with these founders, I could see exactly what they needed to do. I would kind of outline a strategy for them and then they would go away and talk to 20 people and not done anything they told them <laughs> and I'm like this oh, is a waste of my time yeah 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 and so what I did was and a lot of them said they had been through an accelerator mm-hmm. and I thought wait a minute I don't really know accelerators but doesn't that kind of imply you should be accelerated by now you think, and right. why do you still need all this help mm-hmm. so I really started to research um, startups um, any data I could get. And remember, this is like five years ago. Sure. So there was much less than there is now. Right. Um, on accelerators, really looking at startups mm-hmm. and really looking at venture investment. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was, ah, accelerators are like four months because when Y Combinator, uh, Combinator started in early 2000, mm-hmm. right, you could dev a tech product in four months. Right. And they like that model hadn't evolved a lot uh, in the past. Like I would say a couple years, there's been a lot more evolution in the accelerator space. Mm-hmm. But up until then, people kept using that four month model. Right. Um, and then in terms of venture investment, what I what it sounded to me was that they were investors were just throwing a lot of money at a lot of different startups and playing the numbers game. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for that one startup to right. outstrip their entire portfolio. Right. And I thought, okay, we're talking about going to Mars. Why can't we make the right. better? You'd think, right? It's and, and so, crazy. Yeah. And while I don't necessarily come out of finance, I come out of like solving problems and right. looking at things. And I've, I've always been uh, on the business end of things. So I was like, okay. So I think there has to be a better way. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think there has to be a better way. So that's what I've been working on. And and that's why I say I'm trying to evolve venture investment. And and a lot of uh, VCs are starting to talk about doing this where it's more than money, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, and the way I talk about it is, I think a lot of investors investors were looking at startups like products, right? right? Yeah. Um, and you know, in typical like uh, investments, you look at you know price to earnings ratios, you know things like that, and and based on that, you would make a very quantified business decision. Right. But startups are often working in new tech where they don't even know how the customers are going to use their technology because mm. technology is so new, right? Right. right. Um, VR is a very interesting case in point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what that means is, you know, I'm like, well, you can't really approach it in the same uh, way that investors have been doing it. And right. so... You know, I think of startups more as organisms because mm-hmm. they're made up of people and people are unpredictable. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so one of my favorite books, I don't know if you know this book, but Predictably Irrational. No, I've not heard this. Um, it's written by a behavioral economist named Dan Ariely. Mm. And it's one of my favorite books because he just, 
he just talks in the book about all these different like research that he's done where, you know, there's a logical choice that people can make about like, you know, finances. Like if they, you give them the choice of, okay, if you have the chance of winning this much for sure, um, would you take that versus this chance of winning a whole lot more, but there's no certainty around that and your odds are so much less. Mm. And people always make the crazy choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see that. And, yeah. and what's funny about it, so, you know, I've always seen accelerators as, you know, like controlled experiments that are meant to solve problems right and i think that's maybe that's why you're really good at doing this because if you're a problem solver then you naturally um understand you know what's needed to be done when when a startup comes into an accelerator right you you're you you understand the steps to kind of start to pull the, the the startup apart and look at the various pieces that need to be fixed or augmented or you know so and i think that what happens with startups at least when the ones that i've experienced is that you're right most of the time they think very flat they don't see um and i also think there's a certain amount of um not panic but um frustration in that most startups are usually small teams if it's a single individual or 10, they they get frustrated because it's almost like they're going in circles trying to resolve things. No matter how many times you've laid out this, here's what needs to be done, um, plan for them. They get frustrated and they end up kind of going nowhere. They almost like on a, they're on a treadmill basically just trying to, running hard but not really generating much, you know, distance to get to their goal. And I think when they join these accelerators, sometimes they, they, they join out of like a misguided understanding of what the accelerator does for them, like what it could do for them. I think they, they see the financial end of it and they say, we want money, but they don't understand that without a plan in place and an understanding of the, the customer they're trying to serve and what it means to, you know, kind of manage all these different elements of their business. I think what happens is they get, um, they don't get what they need out of the accelerator. And, um, and it's sad because I think there have been some, probably some good products, some good services, some good companies that's gone in through this accelerator process. But um, I think, they sometimes become their own worst enemy in the sense that um, they don't they don't have a problem solver on their team, and I think that's the most invaluable thing you can have someone on your team who who can help who who understands the problem solving element of the business, not just you know a title and you know I'm just going to understand my part of the business. Um, and I think accelerators can be a huge benefit to a, a startup if they know how to use it right. Yeah, I mean, you touch on a lot of um, uh, solid and interesting points. Um, I would take it a little further and say, um, first of all, I think that 
just solving the problem often isn't enough. Like even if they understand the problem, the issue with startups is that uh, when you're out there working on your own, you usually have a very small team, you have very limited resources and you don't have much of a support community. So, you know, you may know what you need to do, but you have absolutely no help and not enough people to do it. So I am seeing this crazy trend now where I see many um, startups join accelerators because they need resources, they need a community, they need help, but they become serial accelerator mm-hmm. um, startups, right? Mm-hmm. So I recently went to an event where they were talking about, okay, then how do you decide what the next accelerator is, especially when accelerators are taking a chunk of equity? Right. And, you know... I was sitting there thinking, okay, why are people thinking that they're going to go through several accelerators before they actually kind of go out on their own? Right. Instead, the thinking should be ideally that you want to go into maybe one, maybe two accelerators, mm-hmm. and then you need to scale fast. That's right. the whole name of the game of a startup. Otherwise, you're you're a lifestyle business, right? <laughs> right. If you're not going to just take off. Right. So and nothing nothing wrong with lifestyle businesses, but you know I feel like everybody calls themselves a startup, but not everybody's a startup, right? Right. So part of what I've been thinking about is, all right, first of all, I'm trying to develop a hybrid approach to working with um, various companies. Mm-hmm. So instead of being purely an accelerator or purely an incubator. Um, where traditionally the incubator has been, oh, there's something interesting here. We're going to give you space and time to explore it. Um, Instead, I, I, and also when you talk about problems, what's I, what I think is interesting is that many startups come into an accelerator already having started their business. Yeah. Right. Right. And, I have found in the time that in the way I structured Servo Ventures is more as almost like a a, a lab, right? Where Mm -hmm. I tried out different things to figure out how, what will work best for my startups and my founders. And what I found is that there are two huge pain points for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And first is just building out teams, right? right? Uh, You can have, a really kick-ass founder, um, but unless they can raise a lot of money, and it, then the startup game just becomes have an idea, raise money, build it out a bit, raise more money, build it out a bit, and then until the founders typically have like just like a less than two-digit equity stake, right? Right. Um, and uh, and then the other one is what I call sunk cost syndrome which is that if they have put any amount of time and effort into building out their idea, then they think it's, 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 it's good to go. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you need to pivot that. Uh, you may need to change it drastically. And they're like, Nope, it's going to work. Um, and you know, I, I can't work with those founders anymore. So, what I'm trying to do is develop, I've been thinking a lot about developing a whole different framework of working with founders 
and particularly because um, I started out, we started out at Serval just looking at all different industries, founders at all different stages, including from very early idea stage. Um, And I don't mind starting really early. What I found was hard for me was that I didn't like the consumer aspect because it's just a huge marketing play. And I realized what I'm interested in is, trans, uh, you know, leading edge technologies that will build transformative companies. And for me, that's data tech. Right. And when I think about data tech, that's data analytics, but that's also AI because right. that's an intersection of data and technology. Right. And as I think about AI company, AI is complex. Mm-hmm. And I have I have founders coming to me saying, we have AI in our startup. I'm like, okay. So what exactly are you talking about and what level of either ML, machine learning, or NLP, natural language processing, or do you have deeper learning algorithms? And then do you have neuroscientists to like inform that understanding of how human beings react, right? right. And respond to technology. And I have so many people just look at me blankly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, if you, I'm not a, even an AI expert. So if you don't understand what I just said to you, you have no business right. saying you have AI in your company. Yeah. Because yeah. you clearly don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I, we're, I, ha, I've actually created a whole new framework and we're going to launch Servo Lab as an innovation lab to, first of all, start by exploring problems that are worth solving, really large problems, larger problems, more Mm. complex problems, rather than saying, come in with an idea. Um, And then I've built out uh, and continue to build out uh, ecosystem of partners. So I have partners who are consulting, a whole whole company of consulting neuroscientists, Mm -hmm. um, people with AI tech building skills, um, cybersecurity, blockchain and cryptocurrency, growth hacking, digital marketing, um, you know, you name it, sales, so that we have expertise to help the startups at a range of different levels and whatever they need to do. And we want to help them move along. Uh, We created an innovation roadmap that's idea to series A in two years. And uh, I have initial early proof of concept and we just want to hit it at scale um, Mm -hmm. with this innovation lab. So, um, and so it's about, and I think the biggest problem for founders is that uh, besides they don't know what they don't know right. is how do you keep them focused? Yep. There's so much noise, so many yep. competing things, and many of them are young, so they don't even have life skills, much yep. less like, you know, um, business skills to yep. stay focused on a strategy. And so it's about how do we help the founders to also stay focused so we overlay coaching and then um, because of my experience with the founders, I also even developed um, what I call a success fundamentals program, which is essentially soft skills. And it's a it's called Three Point Path, the number threepointpath.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a program where first, the it's a three-month program. The first month is focused on really knowing yourself and the tools to help you better understand yourself, not only like, who you are, what you like, 
but what are your weaknesses? What are your pain points? What, wh where do you go when you're un under stress? Because once you understand that, then you can work to, you know, uh, overcome it. Then the second part is about really understanding others. And that has a lot to do with EQ, communications, and different ways and how you work with others, right? Mm. Then the third part is focused on what I call mad skills because it's not enough to want to do something and you know yourself really well. I mean, one of the core things I say is if you, and I, I find this, I hate to say it, but with young and female entrepreneurs sometimes, hmm. I'm like, if you're gonna be in business, you need to understand finance. And you learn everything mm -hmm. you needed to know, arithmetic in grade school. Right. So there is no reason to fear it. And I've had women come up to me after those workshops saying, that was a great takeaway. Interesting. Right. Interesting. And then the other thing that I also tell people, another big one is negotiation. How can you be afraid to negotiate if you're going to be in business? Yeah. It's constant negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there's a, I think that's a, that's a skill set um, that a lot of um, young business people don't aren't familiar with. Uh, and, or, or they have the wrong idea of what it is because of what they see on TV and movies. So they they think they think the life is Shark Tank, and it's not. It's not, and it's a different type of negotiation. And it's, I think there's, um, yeah, I, I, that is uh, for first time I've heard someone um, speak to the um, the non. Um, tangible essence of being a becoming an, a successful entrepreneur i think that gets under um undersold the value of building up emotional intelligence um you know business intelligence uh all of these soft skills that you don't necessarily get taught in colleges um, you may get some exposure to it as you go, get older and more mature into, but if you haven't gone into the business world, let's say maybe either you didn't graduate or you graduated and decided to go straight into entrepreneurship, then there's a certain, I think working in business offers you, it's almost to me a lot like where if I'm a high school basketball player and I go straight to college, uh, to the pros, there's a certain, there's a whole bunch of life experience that you're missing when you don't go to college, and I think the same thing happens to entrepreneurs in a lot of ways. Is when you, when you jump into the pool of entrepreneurship, you miss out on a lot of other stuff, and it's such a fast-paced world that sometimes you don't have, you don't make time to kind of um, understand yourself, understand the world around you and the different nuances to kind of talking to uh, more successful business people than yourself to kind of, especially when you're trying to, you know, sell and pitch your business to, you know, said companies and stuff. I think there's like, I get a lot of people who ask me for advice on those things like, Hey, I'm going to meet with this person or I'm going to talk to that person Oh, what do I do? How do I say it? And um, I don't see a lot of that being taught. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, 
and you know, I think people used to because the world and the pace of the world was slower and there were family structures or whatever, you learned it in different ways. Nowadays, you know, uh, people think um, wiki, right? Wiki is it, and so you, you're knowledgeable. But if that were the case, everybody would be successful, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. So to me, since that's not happening, I have to ask, well, why not? And so you come out of the world of film. So it's, mm -hmm. like, it's like really good editing, right? Mm, right. Editing is really undervalued, but if you have mm. a really good editor, it can make or break a film, Absolutely. right? Mm -hmm. It's that trend. It's the transitions and the soft skills are what enables transitions to happen in business, in companies, um, in, from one phase to the next. And so Harvard Business Review had an article where they talked about the C-suite. Mm -hmm. And they they studied various people in the C-suite, what made them successful, and they couldn't come up with any single common denominator except emotional intelligence. Mm. Because when you get to C-suite level, it's not about just even pure knowledge of markets or technology or anything like that, but it's how do you make it all work? Mm. How do you help people to make it all work within themselves. And if you have someone that's always like, it's about me, that's not, that that's a dysfunctional unit. Right. But if you have a manager who's all about making it work smoothly and everybody getting something out of it so that people feel fulfilled in each of their positions, that is a high performing unit. Mm. Mm. So that's what soft skills is. It's everything from being able to relate and connect with your coworkers to being able to explain something so that other people understand it to being able to know what the timing right timing is something very important that i don't think people give enough um importance to right and when you ask someone something makes all the difference yep. right yep 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 i tell people that a lot and i uh, you know so and I'm sure this probably may happen to you where, you know, you've got this, you know, a lot of people and you, 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 there are people who, who will come to you and say, Hey, can you introduce me to this person or that person? Or, and, um, it might be somebody that you've, you're great friends with. So it may be a little easier, but it may be somebody to maybe you haven't had enough time to kind of, um, maintain that relationship. And so I tell them like, look, you can't just walk up to somebody who you haven't talked to in 20 years and say, can you give me $20? It's just, I mean, there's a certain element of that's just a bad idea. Yeah. And um, so I tell them, like, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing something like that. I would rather you come to me in another couple months after I could have reestablished that relationship and not, you know, come at them with you know i haven't talked to you in 20 years but i need a favor that you know i'd like to believe yeah. that i've built up credit but it's still not the proper thing to do and i think that's um and that may go to uh, again there's there's a whole like i i feel like there's um there's some missing element to today's um entrepreneurs where and, and to some extent, it 
benefits them and to some extent it doesn't because I think sometimes you don't fear what you don't understand but I also think sometimes when you don't fear it and you don't understand it you're least likely to succeed at it as well so um, yeah. I mean I I think of it in terms of I think the sense of time right and the sense of nurturing mm -hmm. is sort of lost right yeah. because technology has created, and I love tech. I am a big adopter of early tech. You know, I, I'm always willing to look at things and go, what about that? But if you really look at what's out there in the market, it's not the best tech that wins in the market. Right. It's the technology that is best messaged yep. in the right way. So yep. people are willing to adopt it. Mm -hmm so that they get how it works in their lives. And all of that is nurturing, right? It's nurturing your customers. It's nurturing a relationship. And what you were talking about the in, with the introduction, it's also about nurturing relationships. When yep. I was younger, I was, you know, I was stupid, arrogant, and immortal, right? So right. I didn't do enough to nurture relationships. Right, right. And as I get older, I understand Ah, nurturing. I understand timing is important. I understand um, empathy and compassion is important. And these are all things that are so less tangible. And so they're hard. And mm. I think people want to make things really black and white, yep. really easy. And while things can be smoother, I don't think it necessarily gets easy. But if it were stupid easy, it wouldn't be interesting. Right. And so I think we need to, uh, you know, and part of that just comes from life experience. Mm. And, you know, we need to embrace that there's also a certain amount of nurturing that you have to do. So it's like a plant, right? If you don't water it and right. if you don't put it in the right place and then repot it every so often, it's not going to thrive. Right. Right. Um, but a lot of people have that attitude with like their work, their tech, their relationships and they just think, okay, well, uh, I turn to it when I need to. And part of it is we live in a very, you know, in, in a capitalist society. It can get very transactional. Right. And I think what's interesting is that, you know, people talk about millennials are much more into experiences. Um, they want quality over quantity sometimes. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of an evolution mm -hmm. of the fatigue of, like a 20, early 20th century uh, capitalist model of transactions, more is better. Yep. Um, and instead now we're starting to look at quality. We're starting to look at, okay, what does this mean? Yep. So I think, I think it's harder, but it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. So, so what technologies excite you the most right now? Like what do you, what do you, what's, What's a technology that you're like really um, passionate or you think has some real legs to kind of go far? Um, I think there's a lot, really. Um, so one, uh, tech, I mean, I like anything related with data, right? Okay. But people were like, big data. Um, I've been thinking a lot about a lot of disaggregated data sets. We have data in little silos and pockets and because of the way they're structured or collected or stored they can't be merged with other data sets mm -hmm. 
And I truly believe that if you get disparate data sets together, we could gain whole new insights that we don't have right now. Mm. So I'm actually looking at, at that with an application of AI. So mm. I think that's very exciting. And with that, what that does is it does what, uh, what's not sexy, but what I think is very interesting <laughs> and would make the world run better mm. is process improvement, right? Mm. Throughout um, you know, companies and everything we do. So that's one end of it. And then on the other end of it, I'm really excited about the new technologies, right? right. So VR, um, you know, everybody said 2017 was going to be the year of VR. They were looking purely at the technology, but they weren't looking at the content end of it. And it right. didn't happen because there wasn't enough content. Right. So um, now there is um, people are starting to understand that and look at content. And for instance, my sister does movement coaching. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give her a shout out, coherent body and <laughs> in LA folks. And like, uh, you know, she has some high powered stars as uh, clients, okay. but she's been doing very interesting work around micro aligning, right? So that you have a better alignment that contributes to whole health. Gotcha. And so she wants to use VR to create therapeutic um, uh, modalities where you don't always need to have someone with you giving you feedback. Because she can look at someone and say, oh, you need to, your shoulder is slightly forward, so you need to move the right shoulder back a little gotcha. bit. Gotcha. But with VR, you can get that feedback. Right. Um, and then... But VR is hard because it's expensive to stitch together all the images to create a full 60, 360 experience. Right. But I, came, I have a company called Circle Optics that has developed a prototype for a 360 parallax lens. And with this lens, you can put it on a, a commercial camera and you can stream VR content. Nice. Wow. That is good to freaking change the whole landscape of VR. Interesting. Very yeah, so interesting. that is really exciting to me. Then I've also been thinking a lot about cryptocurrency because who isn't, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody <laughs> so, is, yeah. yeah. So I don't own any cryptocurrency. Oh, it's really? too volatile for me. Not I mean, yet, huh? yeah, not yet. I mean, my life is volatile enough with my startups. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I... I was kind of thinking, are we in a bubble? Maybe we are in a cryptocurrency bubble because there's literally thousands of cryptocurrencies out there, yep. right? Yep. And those are just the ones that are publicly traded. We don't even know the ones that are not yeah. not offered, right? Yeah. But I've been doing, I've been talking with my, my partner who is heavy duty into cryptocurrency so. space. And we were talking about it. And, you know, what he said was, you know, in the 20th century with all the, corporate conglomerates, there was a kind of like um, centralization of power, right? Right, With the big corporations. Right. Well, and then with the nationalities and different, you know, currencies that are not, and tied to borders, right? right? But with cryptocurrency, what it's allowing us to do is decentralize power and create communities of all kinds across all borders, which is really interesting. And when you think about it from that way, I'm very, I've gotten much more excited now about the 
possibilities of different cryptocurrencies. I've always been excited about blockchain, and I think we're only just starting to understand what blockchain really means and what it enables us to do and how it enables us to be in the world in a whole different way. Because with the distributed ledger, it enables uh, different different uh, level of trust that mm. didn't used to exist before and helps people work together, right? Yep. I think that's really interesting. So, so I'm starting to, I just recently had a thought that, ah, maybe even one of my startups, what if we think about applying a cryptocurrency to that particular startup? I'm thinking, actually, mm. I think that would be an ideal use of what cryptocurrency and blockchain is meant for. Mm. So I'm starting to just explore that and think about cryptocurrency in a whole different way. And then, of course, artificial mm. intelligence. Um, I think while there's still a lot more that can happen in the machine learning space, um, I recently saw a company out of Spain. Um, mm. I hosted a Spanish delegation from Andalusia, and there was one company that creates bots, but for the low end of repetitive tasks. So mm. this AI will go into a certain situation and assess what is a repetitive task that has to be done and then just program a bot to do that. Hmm. So that's like a meta AI mm -hmm. for low level <laughs> you know, process. Cool. Yeah, so yeah. that's very interesting because everybody's like talking about like emergent tech, you know, the emergent technology that Elon Musk is afraid of that yeah. they're gonna take, yeah. kill us off, right? right. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think what's interesting is all throughout the whole spectrum, we still have different places and pockets where we can apply thing, technologies so that things are smoother, right? right? Processes are smoother, and everything just is much more effective and efficient. And yes, that will kill off some initial jobs, but that'll kill off the shit jobs nobody wants anyways. Right. <laughs> if right. we can teach people to think in a more innovative mindset, which I think is totally possible mm. from my teaching experience and coaching experience, mm. then people can work in collaboration with technology to create a better anything. Right. Well, so, I mean, there's always been like this... I've always had this thought that, you know, like you said, there's like these old low-end jobs that a lot of people don't want, right? So if we create um, these these bots or, or programs to kind of take away some of these um, these tasks, right? But then take the people who were originally doing those tasks and educate them on levels on on the way, uh, on creating those bots those Thing, those te the technology behind it, then you re you kind of shifted everybody up the, the, the food chain in a little bit where now uh, low end tasks are now just pro are people doing low end uh, AI um, programming and um, different other t tasks because I think that's where you know I think Obama kind of had it right in a lot of ways where it's about trying to take you know a certain portion of our our population that are, don't have the education or the know-how to use the to be in that sector to take and say let's take those jobs off of your shoulders 
and then re-educate you to do these tasks. So that way now everybody has some type of technology education, some type of technology experience, um, and it kind of elevates you know the you know people on a whole rather than trying to replace people's jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's that. But even before, like, saying we're going to re-educate them to program new bots, because that's a big leap, yep. and I think that scares people. Yep. I think what what's gonna there's going to be a lot of jobs where they're going to have to manage and quality control what the bots do. Yeah, because yeah, the bots exactly. are evolving. Exactly. So though there are interim level potential for a whole industry of positions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then not only that, like I think um, we are going into a whole different level of technology where the technology used to assist, but now technology is going to require us to interact and be in the world in a whole different way. And I think that's where some of the biggest fears are coming from. Mm -hmm. And wherever there's fear, right, there's resistance. But I think, and when I talk about, like, shifting mindsets, I think that is, uh, you know, and I talk about that, and sometimes I give very little response because to me that's profound, but I don't think people understand how profound that is Mm -hmm. because that is about taking away fear and 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 like uh, initial approach to fear and instead replacing it with a sense of curiosity absolutely about what is technology and okay it's going to require me to be different but what does that mean and how is that different going to be in my life right Right. and people think that it's robots or artificial intelligence (laughs) against the humans I posit that we're already hybrid beings because who can live without their phone, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the phone is essentially embedded on our hands, right? Yeah, pretty much. Or in our ears. So we're already there. And it's a matter of how do we learn to evolve to work with our technology better? So, you know, Kasparov, Mm -hmm. uh, he, he lost to... Big Blue, right, in the big chess match. Yep. So he went away for a while. Nobody heard about him. But recently, he created a hybrid chess tournament, right, Mm. where people could come with computers to compete in chess. Uh... And you know who won? It was not the chess masters, the grandmasters, and it was not the best technology that won. It was two, like a couple average chess players Mm. with average computers that won because they work better together right so right. i think that is the future is at least for the near future for the probably the next 20 odd years or so mm-hmm. several decades is how do we better work with our technologies and the ones that can work better with our technologies are the ones that are going to be more successful yeah. and even with startups all the startups want to create solutions where technology is the answer Right. And I actually think some of the more interesting technologies are actually going to be hybrids right. because hybrid solutions, because for a while there will have to be humans to help people understand how better to use the technology 
to better incorporate it into their lives and their work processes. And then when that happens, then the human element can fall back a little bit more, right? right? right. But until that happens, and that's not going to happen overnight, there are still jobs out there, but it does require people to get more comfortable and learn. So, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm an old fogey, and yet I am willing to uh, to look at, adopt, and explore and learn new technologies in a way that I see some younger people afraid to do. Mm. And that's purely mindset, right? I'm willing to look at things and go, okay, let me think about that. That's scary, but let me think about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's I'm uncomfortable with that, but I'm going to think you think about that. I, I, that's in, uh, that, uh, that's um, you know I never really thought about it that you I mean theoretically speaking you're you and your phone are, are basically partners you know yeah like you need something and you're and you challenge you task your your phone to provide it and your phone can either do it or not do it based yeah. on whatever parameters you set for it based you know so I needed to search for something or provide something it's doing that so technically you're a partnership if that's the way you want it and it's, it's and usually the ones who don't um, that are uh, who are not um, like so when you see like these car accidents from people driving and texting and all stuff to me that's where the partnership slanted a little too far left where you let your phone control the situation rather than you can you kind of saying hey i need this information but not right now and but that's a dysfunctional relationship a, right di- yes totally. that's a dysfunctional codependent relationship yes. and what we need to do is learn how to create healthier relationships yep. with our technology so, you know i was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago and i i traced this back to the inter the invention of the internet right so if you think about it right when you get a piece of technology when you get your car when you get a boat if you get you know a blender they all come with uh one thing that the internet never came with and that was a set of instructions a set of instructions on how to use it what not to do when not to do it how to how to take this in how not to take this in and I think that is part of the that if you go back and think about that, that's kind of just like a scary thing. Like the Internet is a is is an amazing thing. And I couldn't do any of this without the invention of the Internet and the technology and all these things. But for us to have um, created this thing without going into people's homes and saying, all right, here's your AOL setup, and here's a book on how to use the internet and best practices. But that that is the difference between the 20th and 21st century, right? That's that we are moving from uh, what was considered a waterfall way of Mm -hmm. creating products to an agile way where uh, it's a partnership between the creators of the technology and the users of the technology where the users have as much power to figure out how this technology is going Mm. to be, right? So, Mm. for instance, like Instagram, right, Mm -hmm. was was not meant to be this end-all, be-all for everything. And it's like 
social media almost would not exist without Instagram, right? right? right. So, but it happened at such the right confluence of time and technology. And like even the founders of Instagram will say, we didn't know this is how people would use it, right? Yep. And, and people will come in and find different ways to use the technology to, to figure out how better to do it. So like for instance, even this podcast that we're doing, mm -hmm. right? Skype was supposed to be a way that you could use, uh, make, make phone calls long distance without the heavy duty charges, right? And now you're, you're doing entire podcasts and, you know, recording media on it. Right. And so I think it's, you know, it, it, it really is a partnership and that what that means is that everybody, right, has to, to some extent, it's caveat emptor, right? Right. You have to take some responsibility for the technology that you use and how you use it. And you, I, I don't, I think the, the, the day of instruction books are gone, yep. well, <laughs> and, but I also think that the startups that are going to be more successful are the ones that can help their con customers contextualize the use of their technology. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because just the other day, uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, CEO of Twitter says that even they, so when they created Twitter, had no, they never really thought about what it, like what the impact was going to be. You know, they, right. he says, we have witnessed abuse, harassment, troll armies, manipulation through bots and human coordination, misinformation campaigns, and increasingly divisive echo chambers. We aren't proud of how people have taken advantage of our service and or, or our inability to address it fast enough. And I think that is the first time I've heard a platform admit to the fact that we've created a monster. But I also believe you're absolutely cor you're correct in the sense that it, this we're, we're way past that whole, you know, here's a guy to kind of use it. And I think for for us to truly keep keep evolving, not just as an individual human being, but as a, a user of technology and in the future of the planet of self, I think you're right. We need to we need to under we need to learn more about working in unison with the technology, um, not you know on one side or the other side. And I, you know. I, no, Elon Musk, he's a smart dude, but come on. We're not we're not going to be Terminator. This is right. not going to be I mean, it's a lot of things would have to happen for that to happen and I don't think that's going to go down that road, but I do think that it as we as I think the the startups, the entrepreneurs that are kind of starting to come forth and the companies are starting to evolve now, I think they're so much smarter about how like the 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 things that they're trying to do and they are socially aware of some of the, of the situations now. So they understand th that there's an impact beyond just user interface or user experience of the platform or technology you're using that they understand is there's far more, there's far other reaching um, aspects to that. And I think, you know, as they, you know, grow and evolve that the, um, Hopefully they devolve, they evolve their companies and their products 
together with the users of, of the platforms and, and, and technology that you're using. And I think VR can be kind of like the model of that because it, it's very like the user really is key to the, the success of the platforms that are being created. Yeah, although, you know, I think in some ways you're a little more optimistic than me. I think that, <laughs> I I think that there are some some founders, and I, I'm, a, I'm a glass half full kind of gal, but mm. there are some founders that do seem to get those implications. But then I've, I've met founders too where they're just like, yeah, I just want to make as much money as possible and I want to be a millionaire before I'm 30. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, you're an asshole. <laughs> and I think... <laughs> I think it's incumbent on mentors and advisors yep. and people like us yep. to tell people, hey, you got a responsibility yep. and you you not only have to think about just getting the the product out there, but you have to really understand the implications of the product and uh, embed that into your, you know, uh, corporate culture. Right. So. Well, that goes back. So, I mean, we've almost come full circle here, right? We're back to your whole initiative with Three Point Path and, and a lot of that, right? I mean, so yeah. I think you 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 hit the nail on the head. And I, you know, I, I love that you're doing, um, that you're trying to rethink how, you know, startups are being built and, and um, how mentors and advisors are interacting with these, these, these companies. And um, it's, I think you have... Um, the right mindset to kind of help a lot of uh, startups. Well, thank you. I we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and I'm hoping to do this at scale. So, <laughs> well, I mean, if anything I can do to help, and um, you know, obviously you can uh, have but to ask, and um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what what comes out of Servo Ventures and the kind of stuff that you guys are going to be doing going forward. Is there, um, so where can people find you on social media? Like, is there a place where they can kind of keep up with the things you're doing and that, those kind of things? Um, I, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm terrible at social media. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, and I try to get better at it. I do have a Twitter and I'm at June W Choi. Okay. Um, but it's a very small Twitter account. I'm slowly building up. Um, okay. And then the other thing to do, they can do for now is if they sign up um, on the Serval Ventures uh, listserv, mm -hmm. what we will do is as we launch our innovation lab and, you know, I send out inf information about the three point path program through that list as well. Mm. Um, and people can also, we'll be starting to send out more information about our companies as they, they evolve and go to market and things like that. And that's also a place where we might send out and say, Hey, you want to sign up for the beta of this or whatever? And they'll, they'll learn about opportunities through that. And can people sign up for three point path on their website? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, three point path. There is, um, uh, Oh, that's a, wait a minute. That's they can always send me an email. Okay. Um, on Three Point Path, they can go to the website and there's a way they can just like you know enter their contact information. Okay. And I'm building out a different list just for people who are interested more in the coaching part of it. Cool. Um, and then um, what was I gonna say? I'm I'm spacing out. 
uh, <laughs> <laughs> spin along. Oh, among other things, like for instance, like coming up on on a panel for a ARVR Invest meetup. Oh, cool. Um, there, that's going to be at Samsung Next Space. Um, I believe on March twenty second. Oh, cool! I like uh, that. I'll definitely check that out. Sure. Um, and you know, I'm I'm out uh, and about. I network a lot, and but people can always reach me through Three Point Path or Servo Ventures. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we we have some VR um, events coming up in the next couple months, so I'll definitely make sure you uh, are aware of those. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I've got a lot of stuff. I'm too many, too many. I, I need to take a break. I need a vacation or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, no rest for the wicked. So, yeah. thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Darren. All right. You take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.